I fancy seeing you here. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hello, love. How is your summer going? Mine is going delightful. Thanks for asking. We are in love with our new home that we've been at for about two months now, I guess. Uh, If you've seen it on Instagram, it has a quite magical, pinch-me-worthy balcony that overlooks the river and Manhattan. Something that I didn't realize until we moved in, uh, water is a huge thing for me. Water just makes me so happy. Anyone else? Um, And the river, I never really thought about this living in New York City. That the river has shores where the waves of the river crash up on the shore. And outside our window is one of those places. And from my balcony, I can sit and listen to the waves crash, which never occurred to me was even possible in Manhattan. Like every time we think we love this part when we just find something else, we're just like, oh my gosh, we are so richly blessed. And last weekend, or maybe it was the weekend before, but we had three nights in a row dinner on our balcony with different friends. We had a double date on Friday, a group of friends over on Saturday. My business partner was here on the Sunday. That is my idea of heaven. Just a small group of people that we love having a leisurely meal on the water with beautiful view and watching the sunset. We have taken two really lovely trips, one to Florida, one to California to see almost everyone in both of our families. I think we've only missed seeing one sibling, which is saying a lot because Jeremy is one of eight. So we have a lot of family now. And uh, I only have one sibling. So that was a huge change for me in being a newlywed. And we are headed to France for uh, in a few weeks for most of August. We love France. It is my happy place, just like the entire country of France, all the France. Um, I hope that sharing these things brings up some of the things that you're thankful for this summer, even though you can't technically talk back to me here. I am picturing that you are sharing with me your own time with friends and family and traveling or staying home, making your home beautiful. And I also have been creating new things in my business for the first time in a few years, and it feels incredible. And that definitely helped inspire today's episode. So right now I'm hosting my first ever mastermind because our students were looking for deeper teaching. So we have around 125 or so entrepreneurs that we're doing intimate community and accountability and live coaching calls with. I am also creating my first ever tangible product, our Elegant Excellence Journal. That is based on... uh, goal-setting workshop that I've been teaching for years and people have asked for more of. And also, after trying to start in summer 2017 and then summer 2018, we have finally carved out the time in summer 2019 and for the rest of this year for me to uh, start or continue writing my book on style, which I feel like is another podcast on having the patience for the right time with your dreams. But that brings us to today's topic, which came out of a conversation I was having with some of my mastermind students about dreaming big for your future. I was saying, you're 10 years down the road. What is it that you want? If you just sit quietly for an hour and dream and think without listening to a podcast, without reading a book, what is it that comes up for you? And Amanda, for example, said, I realize that I pigeonhole myself in boxes, and I tend not to allow myself to think about big things I want to do or ways that I want to grow. I tend to stick with what's safe. 
she's afraid to dream big, so she isn't. She acknowledges and started to realize, I'm actually not having these big dreams because I'm actively holding myself back from a place of fear. And then Kara said, it's not that I don't dream. I'm almost scared to articulate my dreams. They are so far out of my control. New York Times bestseller, can't really control that. Getting my book turned into a movie, out of my league. Uh, Foreign language editions, yes, please. But again, pretty much out of my control. So she's acknowledging she's afraid to dream big. She is dreaming big, but it feels really scary. It doesn't feel good. And I so deeply relate to both of their fears of being willing to say big things out loud. Something like a New York Times bestselling book or I want to be a self-made millionaire. I want to own a home, be the youngest female VP at my firm, be on Broadway. I've known about myself for a long time that I hate to be disappointed. I have always dreamt big, but for the most part, I believe in myself. That's just kind of been part of my DNA. So in general, the idea of believing big isn't that terrifying. But when I was an actor, which was my last career in musical theater, getting a Broadway show or writing my first book upcoming, desiring to be a New York Times bestseller, those are things I can't control. So if I say I want them and they don't happen, isn't that embarrassing? <laughs> like, it's not so much that I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want other people to know I was disappointed or I am dis- disappointed. That just feels really vulnerable. However, because I'm about to start writing my book again, I've been thinking about this a lot. What is my dream, my goal? What do I want to declare, say out loud, How will I feel if it does or doesn't happen? So let's make this personal. Think of something for yourself as I talk right now. What is the thing you are kind of afraid to dream? That you'll have your own company, you could run your own business, that you'll get a record deal, a job that doubles your current salary, whatever you're making, you want to make double that. You'll be a principal of a school one day. You'll start your own charter school. You will get married. You will be a mom. Whatever that dream is, I want you to picture it as I'm talking. And I have two things that I want us to consider. So number one is what I'm trying on for size right now is what are the qualities of a person that does achieve that dream? What are the qualities of the thing that that dream is? So for example, what do New York Times bestselling books in the self-help or how-to category, which is where my style book falls, what do those books have in common? So in my case, I would say that number one, it's enjoyable to read. It's easy to read. It's not too fancy, technical, where you know, you have to keep rereading a sentence again and again. You know those kind of books where you're like, this is so good, but it takes a long time for me to read because it's so dense. I have to just really slow down and I keep rereading. Instead, you just really naturally keep reading one chapter or the other. It feels like a light, easy read. Number two, people are telling all their friends about it. It's the kind of thing, the kind of topic that applies to so many people around you, you just keep sharing about it. It keeps coming up in conversation. You know so many people that you feel like would love this book too, that you just can't yourself can't help yourself from continuing to talk about it. 
And number three, it's really wise. Not only is it easy to read and super applicable content, it's in a way you haven't heard before, where you're like, this makes so much sense. It, I, and I'm able to grasp it because I flew through it. And man, this is, really applies to my life and applies to so many people that I know. And also, I've never heard it said this way before. You know, she made a really good point. So that to me would sum up a few of my favorite bestsellers in that category. And therefore, I can look at my style book and say, yeah, that's totally true of of the kind of book that I'm creating. I see what the qualities or characteristics are of that of a New York Times bestseller. And yeah, that's the kind of book that I'm creating. So I'm focusing on the fact that that is what I want to create because that I can quote unquote control, meaning I can show up for, I can do my best, I can set the intention, whereas I can't control the numbers. I can't control who else launches their book that week or all the data points that go into something as tricky as a bestseller any more than you can control how someone else does at their audition if you're in the Broadway world or what other companies give a pitch at the same time in the advertising world or who else applies to that job or when an opening comes up if it happens at the right time. There's so much that we can't control, but thinking about what are the characteristics of the person that would get that job, that would get that accolade, that would be in that kind of relationship. What I can control is showing up as the kind of person for whom that's true, creating the kind of product that would indeed be worthy of that accolade. I think about it like you can't control if you skate your very best at the Olympics and someone else gets the gold. Like children of the 90s, are you with me? Nancy Kerrigan came back after that attack from Tanya Harding's crazy ex's crazy friend and skated her heart out in that sparkly gold dress, and then little Oksana Bayul in her pink fur floofy outfit, tied with her, got the exact same score. Guys, talk about movie drama here if you were too young to be alive for this. And because Oksana Bayul had the higher artistic score versus technical score, and that is the way they do the tiebreaker, after all of that Tanya Harding-ish, Nancy didn't win the gold. You can't control that you are going to win the gold, but you can, however, go into the Olympics with confidence, with your mental game strong, your endurance is in top shape, you have trained, you have done all the things, you have practiced it time and time again, et cetera, et cetera, all the things to make it totally plausible that you could win the gold. You have you have added up all the technical things that are required, you know, like these days in gymnastics and in Olympics, they, you know going in what your top score is. You know how much, how many points you get for a tri- triple axel, how many points you get for a double sow cow. <laughs> you know all those things. You know that you have the point value that you could indeed be competitive. And if you don't win the gold, which many won't, you did your best. There's nothing more that Nancy could have done. This personally is how I survived the musical theater world here in New York City. It is a super competitive field, and I approached it somewhat analytically. When was I competitive? Was I in the game? So the way that I would do that is, first of all, I'm using my judgment. I'm looking around the room. I'm trying to wisely evaluate my ability, my talent versus the other people around me. 
But that's more energetic, it's subjective, it's artistic. I also would try to focus on the facts. I would track my stats in my day planner. This is back when I had a a day planner. I would write down every season how many auditions I went to, what percentage of the time I made it through the first cut, what percentage of the time I was then kept to sing, how many callbacks I got, how many final callbacks I got. I also, again, on the energetic side, I kept a list of compliments in my music binder. So when you're picture when you're at an audition, you're standing outside, you're waiting for it to be your turn to go in to sing. And you have this binder that has all of your songs that you sing, depending on what it is that they want. And I had an extra tab in the back. And I would have written down any compliments that I got from directors, choreographers, casting directors, um, to remind me that I was indeed competitive. I did indeed have talent. I deserved to be here. I deserved to be in the room. And I booked a Broadway tour. I did many years with Radio City Rockettes. I was so blessed in my career. But did I ultimately get the Broadway show? No. And yes, it's disappointing. I would have loved that. That would have been so much fun. That would have been an amazing life experience. Not just it would be really cool to be able to tell you that today and it would make me feel proud and it would really validate how talented I was, but it also just would have been an amazing year of my life or however long that had lasted. But I was one of six girls in for a replacement in Thoroughly Modern Millie when that first came out. I was in Final Callback's four or five times for Mary Poppins. I was so close and I wanted it so badly. I would daydream about the day I would get the phone call telling me I'd be cast. It's making me choke up right now. Um, You know, after a big callback, I would carry my phone around 24-7 just waiting for it to ring with good news. And it didn't. And I survived. (laughs) But I'm proud. I know I was competitive. How few people can say they were in the top 10% of their industry. Being competitive at such a high level is winning in so many ways. Just the fact that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I could write a New York Times bestseller, that's huge. And what's choking me up right now is not the fact that I didn't get the dream. What's choking me up is I remember this one day when I was in that callback for Thoroughly Modern Millie and Rob Ashford, the choreographer, like I said, there's only six of us and he's trying to kind of inspire us. And by the way, Thoroughly Modern Millie is the first Broadway show I ever saw. I was here in New York for auditions. Um, I'm sorry, for uh, the first the Broadway tour that I was on 42nd Street. And I'd never been to New York City before. Um, I had never seen a Broadway show. And... Thoroughly Modern Millie was like the big thing that year. Sutton Foster um, won the Tony Award, like the girl out of nowhere. Um, and I remember walking up to the booth and it was so much money for me. I can't remember how much the ticket was, like $120 or something. And it was so much money. And I remember asking like, is Sutton on tonight? Like I wanted to make sure that I was going to get to see her. And I went to the show and I just cried the whole time. I was like, I can't believe that I'm in New York City and I'm rehearsing for a Broadway tour. Like, I can't believe this is my life. And so years later, when I went to this final callback, Rob is like trying to get us excited as as like the energy of what this number is. And he's like, you're in New York City. You have a dream. You're pursuing it. You're one of six girls in this entire city who's in a final callback for a Broadway show. Like, 
just so speaking to like you are the very character that you were trying to be like you know the what this character is feeling and I just remember afterwards calling my mom and just like crying on the phone just with joy um I just I was so grateful I knew that I was in the mix I knew that I was in the top 10 percent and Therefore, I truly know that you can have so much joy and happiness if you will focus on what you do have, if you will focus on the fact that you are the kind of person of which this could be true and that there is so much value in saying, I don't have to actually have won the top thing. That would be amazing. It would be amazing to actually win the Oscar. But I remember... um, the year that Jennifer Aniston, she was in a movie called Cake. It was kind of a, a small film about a woman with chronic pain. And I remember seeing an interview with her and Ellen DeGeneres where Ellen said a lot of people are saying that you you were snubbed. You should have gotten in the – you should have been one of the nominees for Best Actress. And I remember Jennifer Aniston saying something about like, isn't that amazing? Like, I'm the number one snubbed. Like, how cool is that? And she basically was was celebrating, I felt very authentically, like, how amazing is it that people are saying that I was deserving of an Oscar nomination? Like, I could be bummed that I didn't get the nomination. I could be bummed that I didn't win. But I'm just honestly celebrating how few people get to do the kind of film and the kind of work of which people would say, oh, my gosh, you were robbed. You should have been one of those five women. And she's like, if I was the sixth woman... How amazing is that? How few people can say that? So I think the number one way we dream big with confidence. Sorry, I'm all sniffly now for my unintentional tear-filled outburst. The number one way that we dream big with confidence is we really look honestly at what it takes. We are honest with ourselves if we're there. And if we are, we relish it. We never take for granted that we are in the mix. We're competitive. It could be us. And gosh, that is success. We talked about this in episode 14 on competition, that multiple single friends who saw me get engaged uh, said, you know, if it can happen for her, it can happen for me. I, too, am bright and lovely and passionate, whatever characteristics they saw in me or thought Jeremy saw in me. Look at all these women getting pregnant after IVF. It can happen. Will we still be disappointed if it doesn't happen? Yes, maybe deeply. That might be something we really have to mourn. But what if in the meantime, because we don't know yet that it won't happen, it might, So for today, we celebrate that we are in the mix. We are wonderful and worthy and wise and doing everything we can with grace and ease and open palms and wisdom and intention and focus to be the kind of person that could win a gold medal, get a Broadway show, write a New York Times bestseller, or find the Prince Harry or George Clooney or Jeremy Collier, that's my husband, who is single and amazing and just waiting for us to come along at the right time. And number two, I think that what's so scary about the fear of disappointment, if I say out loud that I want to write, well, I want to be a New York Times bestselling author and I don't get it, then am I disappointed even though I did the brilliant work? Maybe. 
But you can't win a gold medal if you don't go to the Olympics and give yourself the chance that you'll get a silver or not medal. Like, it's the game. (laughs) It's the life you choose when you dream big. If you let fear get in the way, if you hold back, you will never get the dream. If you say, well, I don't want to say I want a gold medal, so I'll just say I want to qualify for the Olympics. I would guess you won't even qualify because there are so many people who are willing to dare and take the risk to say they want a gold. They are fighting for it. And it's that whole shoot for the moon and you'll land amongst the stars. The audacity to dream big, I think most of the time, is what's needed just to get you in the arena. It's the people who say they want the gold that will even qualify. And the people who hold back and say they just want to qualify probably won't even get there. I think it's a prerequisite of people who succeed that they are willing to take the risk that they might not. So really, this second thought is, am I willing to shoot for the moon and consider that life among the stars is a success? And honestly, when I look around at people going for the big things, even when they don't get them, I think their life looks way better. And by better, I mean more fulfilling, dynamic, filled with growth, challenging themselves, being a better version of themselves than all the people stuck and living in fear. So the, quote, worst case scenario simply being that being in the top 10 percent is a pretty great life and not something that we should fear. That is how I personally and imperfectly am going into writing my book. Number one, what are the qualities of a New York Times bestselling author? Do I have those? Absolutely. And number two, am I willing to declare I want the gold and consider it a win that regardless of the outcome, I am in the top 10% of people who do what I do? Absolutely. Did I have the qualities of someone who could be on Broadway? Yes. I wasn't delusional. I booked shows, got calls, got feedback. I know that was true, even though I didn't actually book the show. And do I feel proud that I was in the top 10% of people competing for something incredibly competitive? Honestly, I really do. Would I have loved to say that I was on Broadway? Yes. But am I genuinely happy, peaceful, grateful I pursued the dream? Yep. And now I have other dreams a company, a book, a mission to help women feel more beautiful. The great thing about dreamers is that we'll keep dreaming. So let's encourage one another to keep dreaming big. Be unafraid to speak our dreams aloud. Celebrate along the way that we're competitive and consider it a success that whether the moon or the stars, so many people stay on the ground in fear. And we, my dear are in the sky. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is adding in extra time and space during travel. I mentioned at the top of this episode two of our summer trips to Florida and California, and it got me thinking about this. So years ago, I initially came up with this idea. I was so exhausted as an entrepreneur And I loved going home to see my family, but I had a little niece and nephew. My sister has two kids, and they were 
exhausting. <laughs> As a single woman with no children, it was a totally different energy to be around. And I loved them. But I realized I was also so exhausted from my work as a new entrepreneur that if I showed up from one to the other, I just felt spent and depleted going into it and coming out of it. So I came up with the concept of adding in some time for myself, either before or after. So I, uh, if you've followed me on Instagram for years, you may remember seeing me go to Mexico around uh, my birthday, which is right before Christmas or around Christmas. I would go by myself for all my single ladies. I was going to an all-inclusive resort by myself. Don't wait for anybody else. I would go down there for a couple of days of just pure quiet to just read books and listen to podcasts and lie on the beach. And then I would show up at my family's house with so much more of myself to give and to be totally present and down for whatever everybody else wanted to do. Sometimes I would add that on the back end. I remember after Christmas one year going to a hotel in Santa Monica after I had seen my family and just spending a night or two in a hotel right near the airport before I flew out, just vision casting for the new year and doing that work for January that if I flew back and was back in my apartment, back in my office, I just wouldn't have done it. I would have dove right back into work and so really carving out that space. So I've learned this over the years. And when we went down to Florida a couple months ago to uh, see my in-laws, we were I had planned for us to go early so that we had that day. That was just, we get to lie on the beach. We aren't bold into anybody else's plans. I just get to have my like quiet introvert time. And then there was a kerfuffle with our flights. We missed our flight. We had to get down there a day later. And I was kind of stressing about it. I was like, I know that I need this time to decompress in order to transition from a full work life to being completely present with my in-laws and just going along with it for like, yep, whatever anybody in this like huge, crazy family that I just newly married into and I'm still not used to like having this many people around is like. But what we did that was so wise in hindsight is we stayed by ourselves. We we were actually the first ones to say we were going on this trip and other people hadn't committed. So we got a hotel. Later, a bunch of other family members all were like, we're going to go too. We're going to get a big Airbnb. But we decided to keep our hotel. Um, and that was so wise because that was the way that it gave us space. If you might say, I don't have a day before or afterwards. I don't have those extra days that I can take off of work. But can you create that space by saying, we actually are not going to stay with family. We actually are going to stay someplace else uh, or stay someplace else for part of the time so that I do have a little bit more quiet. I do have the ability to say, hey, we're having a late morning. We're going to have breakfast. We'll see you in a little bit. Um, The way it showed up for me in California is I have friends out there near where my family is, but I never have enough time to see them. I usually was there for a shorter trip, and I'd want to prioritize specifically time with my niece and nephew. And so I would just never want to take time away from them to go see these friends who I also love. So I finally booked a trip where I set aside specific days. I was like, I'm going to spend two days with my family. Then I'm going to spend two days with friends. Then I'm going to spend three more days with my family. And therefore, I was able to actually fit in the time that I wanted with friends without feeling guilty. I'd already set up the expectation ahead of time so that my family wasn't you know, planning on my being there. And I think that's something you can do if you have a work trip trip and you think, gosh, every time I fly to New York City for work, I always have these friends I want to see and I never have enough time, then be intentional next time of booking an extra day where you are specifically just seeing people. In California, I also had planned downtime. I had sort of built it into the middle of that trip. 
Well, it ended up getting taken away by some work fires that came up. And so by the end of our trip, I was stressing. <laughs> I was sa- Same thing as like it got taken away from a canceled uh, flight early in the first trip. This one, it was some work fires. Like those things come up. But the last day, I shared this on Instagram if you follow me over there, um, it was Jeremy who came up with um, with this idea. Actually, he came up with it twice. One afternoon, I was stressing that I um, I was like, oh, we're going from friends to family, and I thought I was going to have this downtime, and I just feel depleted. And he's like, let's just go to a hotel that we know it's going to have a beautiful lobby or beautiful restaurant. You know it's going to have free Wi-Fi. And let's just be a few hours later than we said we were going to be and just take some time for you to decompress. And it was so wise. I showed up so much better rather than feeling guilty that I was a few hours later than I thought. It allowed me to be more present for days and days. Then on our final day, same thing. I was realizing like I just there was things that I thought felt like I was going to get done and they're not happening. Our last day, we were supposed to see his friends. And he said, you know what? These are my friends that we're seeing. Why don't you get a hotel for yourself? I'll go see my friends and you can just spend a night decompressing. It was so amazing. I just had a bunch of stuff that I was wanting to get organized, the kind of stuff that just always gets pushed to the bottom of the list in a you know a full work life. And so I just sat and edited photos and worked on blog posts and things like that for six hours in a beautiful lobby um, in a lovely hotel. And I felt so much more rested when I came back to be able to go back into work. So My three bits of advice here are, one, add in time before or after your trip just for you. Book a night in a hotel, even if it's in your parents' hometown. Fly in a night early and just be honest. Actually, I'm going to get in a night early, but I feel like I need a night to decompress and I don't have time to take a vacation and go see family. So I'm going to combine them into one. Just because I'm in my family's hometown doesn't mean I need to stay with them or see them every single day. I'm going to show up better if I bookend that before or afterwards. Number two, book specific time for friends that you always wish you could see and you always run out of time for them. Go ahead and schedule that extra time. Book it out. Know when it is you're going to see them. And number three, adjust plans on the go. If you not coming home exhausted truly is important. Even if you already had plans and you've already made commitments, know that ultimately you are not going to be the best for your work, the people you love in your life if you overextend yourself. And so when the flight gets canceled or the work fire comes up and now you didn't have as much spacious time as you thought you were going to, go ahead and add that in, even if it means you have to cancel on something or disappoint someone. We've always got to put our own oxygen mask on first. Please come over to Instagram at Hillary Rushford and Tell me about your thoughts from the meat of this episode. What is it that you are daring to dream? Odds are no one you know will even see your comment amongst the hundreds of others on my Instagram post. So consider it a safe first place to shout it like you are standing alone on a rooftop at night and see how it feels to just declare it. I cannot wait to hear what the dream is truly in your heart. next Wednesday.